Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 13? This is in the Revelation, the second time, I guess, the Antichrist is mentioned. He's mentioned first, what, in Revelation 6, I think, with the first seal that's broken. And now a more thorough treatment of the Antichrist. So we're in verse 1. Now, this, before, before I get into this, how does the church know there's an Antichrist back in that day? That, that, that there's a, a person who will be the Antichrist. Um, because Daniel had described him meticulously. There's several things written, in, especially in Daniel chapter 7, about uh, the one who became known as the Antichrist. And in John's first epistle, first general epistle, first John, maybe in chapter 2, John says to the believers, you know that the Antichrist is coming and that there have been many Antichrists and the spirit of Antichrist is already here. But he specifically mentions the Antichrist. Paul talks about him in 2 Thessalonians uh, and identifies him, man of lawlessness, son of perdition, and so forth. Christ alludes to him when he says to the Jews in his day, when he says to Israel in his day, if, one man, if a man comes in his own name, you will accept him, but you're not accepting me. Uh, it's generally agreed that that was Christ's reference to the Antichrist and to the fact that at the first part of the tribulation, Israel wholeheartedly accepts the Antichrist and uh, the plan that he presents. So the doctrine of the Antichrist was a well-developed doctrine. By the time the 90s AD come around and John is being inspired to write uh, the Revelation. So let's look at it here, beginning in verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now we have to remember there are no chapter or verse divisions in the original text. So if you go back to the last verse of the previous chapter, the dragon, the red dragon, the old devil had been kicked out of heaven. There was war in heaven. And Michael and his angels overcame Satan and his angels. And the warning, the, the, the woe is given, the woe to the earth. He's, he's fallen down, he's very angry. And in the whole text of the Revelation 12, Israel is identified as the woman. The male child that she struggled to deliver is the Christ. And then the war, and then how he intends to go after the children of the woman, uh, the, the nation of Israel. And she is protected divinely by God, the Bible teaches. 
So the Revelation 12 closes with the dragon standing on the sand of the sea. He's on the seashore. Well, that thought continues here, the seashore and the dragon standing there. And he continues, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So the great red dragon, Satan, is calling forth to the nations and he is, uh, he is bringing his champion, his Christ, he's bringing him out to be the undisputed leader of all the nations of the world. I saw a beast rising out of the sea having 10 horns. Those are national powers. A horn in the Bible always speaks of a national entity. Seven heads and on its horns, 10 royal crowns. The seven heads, it is believed, reference the seven empires under which Israel suffered, beginning with Egypt and moving through to Assyria and on from there to the time of Rome. The 10 nations, you have to go back to Daniel and get a commentary on that. This would be the end time 10 nation confederacy. I don't know, there's, there's always speculation, especially among those who, who study prophecy all the time. At one time they thought it was going to be the European Union. At another time it was going to be something, before that it was going to be something coming out of the United Nations. The plain truth is that those of us who are on this side of the tribulation simply don't know a lot of these details. We do know that there will be a 10 nation confederacy uh, that, that comes out of, of the world powers that have been under the domination of Satan. And their focus has always been the destruction of that woman, Israel, and her male child, uh, which he has failed all the way up. And then there's this war uh, that, is, that is consummated with the defeat of Satan at the hands of Michael and uh, his angels. So he's very angry. God is protecting the woman now. So that's the nation of Israel. This is Israel being saved. And so Israel being saved is, is under great threat and intimidation, but cannot be destroyed by the Antichrist because God is protecting her in the place where he's designated for her to hide. But there are still people being saved among the Gentile nations. So Satan and his complete army of fallen angels, we've talked about this earlier, but here in the last months, maybe weeks, the last months of the great tribulation, I mean the kingdom of God, the second coming of Christ in power and glory, these things are just at the doorstep, about ready to happen. 
Satan is very angry and he has, he has placed himself over the nations. Thus he's seen rising, uh, the beast rising out of, sea, out of the sea. So Satan who was standing on the seashore, the previous verse, is calling out his champion. The Antichrist is first seen on that white horse when the first seal is broken. But he, he is not, and while he, is, while he is satanic and evil, he doesn't receive power from Satan until the last, the very last part, the last half of the revelation. So here is the beast rising out of the sea. He, he is being called forth. There are 10 nations. These 10 nations stand at the end of all of the empires that have stood against God's people in the world in previous history. 10 royal crowns, which means there, there are 10, 10 official entities of governance, of government. And upon its heads, names of blasphemy. The Antichrist is described by Daniel in a lot of ways. He is skilled in oratory. The Bible says that no man can stand against him. Nobody has the wit or the power, uh, the authority, the charisma. Nobody in the world can do anything against the Antichrist. His war, his open war against the saints continues, but a great victory he, he scored was when he killed, he oversaw the defeat and death of the two witnesses. So he continues in his bloodthirsty path. Daniel also describes him as extraordinarily intelligent. There seems to be a reference, two references. One reference is that he has no religion at all. There's nothing religious about him. He doesn't, nothing, nothing that has to do with any kind of religion uh, has any part of him and he has no part of it. It's not part of his history. He's never been a religious person and so he has no attachment to religion at all. The second thing is we're told in the book of Daniel that he does, not, uh, he does not follow the way of women. In other words, apparently, not only is he irreligious, but it's quite possible that the Antichrist is also a homosexual. Now, if you want to think about this, if that's, if that's the case, if that Hebrew phrase means that, most scholars who study the Hebrews say that's, that's the strongest possibility. Then look how the world has been conditioned with regard to homosexuality in the last, I don't know, decade or maybe a little more. Uh, and it exponentially grows this, this uh, conditioning regarding sexuality. It grows and grows and it seems to get broader and deeper uh, in, in the general society of the world today, which is possibly the conditioning of the world uh, 
for a global, a world leader who would be a homosexual. Not only that, I read an interesting commentary. A man who was in his day an expert on prophecy. I I think the commentary probably was written in the middle 1900s, maybe the 1950s or 1960s. His, to, to summarize his point, in his day, and that's been 50, 60 years ago, in his day he said, already we're beginning to see the rise of globalism. How we are joined by communication and by travel and how we can, we can see things from the other side of the world with such ease and so forth. And he goes through this long um, treatise in studying what global, the concept of globalism back in the middle 1900s, middle 20th century. One of the things that he said was, most likely the thing that would drive the world into a global acceptance of a world leader would be some sort of worldwide emergency that would have the same effect on all of the nations, whether they are great nations or whether they are poor nations and regardless of where they were in the world, some sort of world, he called it an emergency. He didn't say pandemic or anything like that, but he said some kind of emergency that would drive the world together and this emergency would create such complexities that the world seemingly falling apart under the weight of the emergency would cry out for a leader who could just take leadership of the situation and lead the world out of it. This was, this was how one scenario that he thought of as a as a thoughtful man who studied prophecy many, many years ago, this is one way that he imagined how the world could be brought under the leadership of one single powerful leader and under globalism. Well, this is, we're told, of course, here that the whole world, and you know, the concept of the whole world had not even been developed in, in 90 in the 90s AD, he, he, couldn't have, uh, he couldn't have understood, nor could his generation have understood, the uh, civilizations that existed in the Americas, for example. He couldn't have, he couldn't have known that. Um, he couldn't have understood completely, most likely he couldn't have, the advanced civilizations that existed in the Far East. The world of the apostle here was the Mediterranean world. And yet in his vision, he sees this that goes beyond anything that is like the world that he lived in in his day. So it would be something far out in the future, which is what Daniel said. There's there's a heavy reference back to Daniel here in this portion of scripture. So... The beast has upon his heads, on all of his heads, 
names of blasphemy. So he is anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-everything that is biblical and scriptural. He's blasphemous through and through. Daniel describes him the same way. Now, an interesting, an interesting drawback to Daniel. I saw that the beast was like a leopard, its feet like a bear's, and the mouth, the mouth of a lion. The lion over back in Daniel of the vision of the beasts, the lion was Babylon, the bear was Medo-Persia, and the leopard was Greece. Now, it, the culmination of putting all of the, so the lion, Babylon, was very powerful and rich and is seen as the first Gentile power to extend its, its empire as far as it could. But then the bear who was Persia was, was strong and vicious. Then the leopard, which was Greece, was quick and could move quickly anywhere. These were the characteristics of those particular empires now, when you put those three characteristics together, and you'll take note that John is looking back in history, so he's looking back Greece, Persia, and Babylon. The order is reversed in Daniel, who looks from the other side of history, and he sees the lion and the bear and the leopard. Uh, an interesting note. The culmination of these is a monstrosity that became Rome. Rome had all of the characteristics of the three previous empires. Rome was the power of iron, stronger than, 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 than brass or silver or gold. Very powerful, very strong, very extensive in its reach into the world. So what he sees is, he sees all of these things that led up to Rome, all of them come together in the power of the beast. Now back to the devil, back to Satan. And the dragon gave to it his power and his throne and great authority. Now the language is interesting here because the beast is both an it and a he. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, in the, it's in the neuter, and then it's in the, the, the personal pronoun. It's, it's masculine when it speaks of a, a man or a, a male person. So they stand together. They, they each are representative of the other. This, this, last, this last end time world power, this Gentile power is synonymous with the one who leads it. So it's sort of like Gog and Magog in Ezekiel where Gog is a title of a person, but it also is a reference of a nation, of, of a land, of a place. So here it is, the beast. The beast, the man, 
who has absolute authority in the beast, which is the final kingdom, the final Gentile empire. Now, it's here in these last three and a half years, the dragon gave to it his power, his throne, and great authority. So it, get, it becomes personified here. The authority, the throne, and the power are concentrated by Satan, who still has at this point, he's still the God of this world at this point. You may recall in the Gospels how he, he took Christ up to a high mountain and he offered all the kingdoms of the world to Christ. Christ did not object that he couldn't do that. Christ simply offered a, a scriptural answer to what he was trying to do. Point being, he has been allowed to be the, the God of this world. So he has the authority then to give this power and to give this throne and to give this authority to a particular person. And this is exactly what he does. So now at this point, the Antichrist receives the power of hell within himself. And one of its heads was as having been slain to death. Now the death, the death wound is, is mentioned more than once. But look how it's worded here. One of its heads was as having been slain to death. Now go back here. The beast had seven heads and we talked about the world empires across history that had dealt misery to God's people. And then the language here, one of the heads, which would be one of the seven heads. So here's, here's, here's the issue with, uh, with exegesis and, and homily, just everything that goes into a study of a passage of scripture. Is one of the heads a reference to the Antichrist or is it a reference to one of those empires that died but is revived again at the end of the age? I don't, I don't know. I have a tendency to think that it has to do with a, with a, um, with a deception of a, of a false death and a false resurrection. And here's why. Because of the word as from the Greek. Doesn't say he was slain. It says it was like he was slain. Hos is the Greek word. Was as. That's how it's translated. I could translate it. Was as having been slain to death. I generally treat this as the death of the Antichrist. And not the death, say, of the Roman Empire and the revival of the Roman Empire. But you'll find people who will argue either point on this. Frankly, the only people who will have the answer are the people who are going to live in that time. And I had just soon not learned like that. I'd like to be told after I'm already up there. So the wound of its death was healed and all the earth wondered or admired after the beast. They worshiped the dragon. The re another reason I believe that it's the person Antichrist is because when we get to the point of the false prophet, he causes everyone to worship the beast. 
And by worshiping the beast, they worship the dragon. So here there's, it's Satan worship all across the unsaved world. They're worshiping the dragon. They, they wandered after the beast and worshiped the dragon who had given authority to the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war against it? So the authority and the, and the power of the end time Gentile power ruled over by the Antichrist is unquestionable power and authority. And a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies was given to it. Notice, was given to it. You cannot, and we'll see this even all the way to the end of this passage we're studying today, tonight. You cannot ever lose sight of the sovereignty of God. None of this surprises God. None of this is tricking God. None of this None of this puts God in a weak position. God is in control over this whole thing. So evil is coming to its apex. Evil is going to get as bad as it can get when hell joins an unbelieving generation of human beings. And when that happens and the whole, the whole world is defiled and blasphemous at the pinnacle of evil, that's when, that's when the Lord puts it all down. When things couldn't get any worse, that's when it's all stamped out. So, so a sovereign God gives these things to this mouth. This mouth speaking great things and blasphemies was given to it. And authority was given to it to act 42 months. Now, the reason the, reason the authority that gives blasphemy and speaking great things doesn't come from the dragon is because the time frame is specifically denoted here as being 42 months. And that has been a time frame through both testaments, the seven years of tribulation divided in half and the last half being the great tribulation. So given to it and given to it for 42 months. So therein is the Restraint and the limit of God when all things are brought to the pinnacle. And it opened its mouth unto blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, namely those dwelling in heaven. So the cursing and the swearing and the blaspheming against God includes cursing his heaven and cursing those who are dwelling in heaven. So this guy is really a bad guy. He doesn't leave anybody out. He hates everybody that has ever had anything to do with God. He would like to be able to annihilate Israel being hidden by God because the promise of the kingdom is that Israel will take the kingdom as most favored nation Jerusalem will be the capital city and the son of David, the Christ of God will sit on the throne, the son of David, the Christ of God. And the promises made to the physical seed of Abraham will come true. And through procreation, they will, uh, 
they will inhabit the world along with Gentiles, but far more Israelites than anybody else. If he can just stop the kingdom, this is his kingdom. See, this is Satan's kingdom. If he can just finally somehow defeat the establishment of the kingdom, then he thinks he, he would have won. So here come the blasphemies. Here come the cursings. Here come the threats and the intimidations against God, against the name of God, the tabernacle of God, and those who dwell with God, the saints, and, 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 the, and the unfallen angels as well. And there was given to it to make war with the saints. Now, the, the, we could have put in brackets authority. And authority, there was given authority to it to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Daniel speaks of the same thing. The saints are being defeated everywhere. Israel is preserved but the rest of the saints among the earth dwellers, those Gentiles who have been saved, the tribulation saints from among the Gentiles, have had war declared upon them. They can't fight. They don't have any power to fight. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to it. So the beast has authority over all the people of the world at this point. And all those dwelling on the earth will worship it. Those whose names have, been, ha, have not been written, it, those whose names, I left out a very important word when I, that makes me feel bad. Okay, there it is. Not, so let me get this straight. All dwelling on the earth will worship it of whom their names have not been written. Got that? Get that straight now. Have not been written in the book of the life of the lamb having been slain from the founding of the cosmos. So the earth dwellers have, have not had their names written in the book of life. Now we're talking about this having been written. That's in the, that's in what's called the perfect indicative passive in the Greek text. In the perfect tense, being in the perfect tense, it means that those whose names have been written in the book of life was done by an action in the past that cannot be changed, but it has effect, it has continuing results all the way through. So that tells you that those whose names have been written there were written in a previous time that cannot be changed. And the effects of that, of the written names continues all the way through. The same it is, the same it is with the earth dwellers. Their names have not been written. So it's in the negative. Whew, that makes me feel bad. I wish I could just etch it into the plaster up there. Not been written. So the earth dwellers whose names have not been written in the book of the life, that is the negative of the perfect indicative passive, which means it never was and never will be written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Someone asked me one time about, you know, uh, such a thing as this. And see, it's, it's, it's not by my power that people are saved and lost. I just preach the word. That's all I do. It is God's business to save whom he will and, and to build, it, it is by his grace that any of us are saved at all. We, we rejoice over that because none of us deserve salvation. And the question was asked to me, and I don't like to debate things theologically. But I was asked directly the question, are you telling me that there are people who can never be saved. I said, I'm not telling you that. The Bible says that. I don't know who they are. That's a disturbing thought. I understand that. It's a disturbing thought. My job is to plead and to pray and to, to make an appeal, even to beg the unsaved to come to Christ. I don't know the arrangement that God has. That's God's business. That's way above my pay grade. That, those words, predestination, foreordinate, those things are heaven's language. Whosoever will may come, preach the gospel to every creature. That's earth, that's my language. I'll leave it in God's hands. But I can give you proof. Of the impossibility of the reprobate being saved. I can give you proof from the Bible. If it will shut you up. <laughs> and so we went over here to the Revelation. And we studied the Antichrist. I said okay we're already in the 21st century. Maybe it was in the late 20th century when I had this guy. Anyway. We're 2,000 years removed from the time John was inspired to write the Revelation. 2,000 years have passed. I don't know how many more years there are left in human history. But as long as we are this side of the glorious coming of Christ and finally the setting up of the great white throne, I can show you someone who exemplifies all of those who are reprobate, whom we are told has, will never have a chance, can never be saved. So I took him to the Revelation and read to him extensive passages with regard to the Antichrist. Who he is, how he's going to be, all those things. It's in both Testaments. Pretty good a pretty good record and identification of him and then it gets to the end of his time and the Bible says that after Armageddon is lost to the earth dwellers and the unbelievers and the victory is Christ's the Antichrist and the false prophet are taken and they are cast alive into the lake of fire. And the fire and the smoke of their torment will ascend forever and ever and ever. And so I asked him the question. Can these guys ever be saved? 
Is it already written with regard to their lives? He just kind of looked at me. I said, Ask, answer me the question. The Antichrist, once he comes on the scene and he's identified, the church will be gone because he can't be identified until the church is out of the way. And then he is identified and becomes clearer and clearer that this is the Antichrist written of in the scripture. Is this guy reprobate and unsavable? Or is there any way he could ever be saved? The person never answered my question. Just walked away. Here's the point. God will not be stifled. There is no chance of failure with God. An innumerable host of saints and angels who are his elect by his design and purpose will glorify him forever. And God is worthy to be praised. And there never will be, there never has been a chance at all that God would lose this battle. Never. Never has been a situation now like that. So here in the, in the, in the perfect indicative active, that is as plain as it can be. It's in the negative here. I, I got all excited. I left out a little word. That's awful. Don't ever buy the Charles Owens edition of the scriptures. Um, but uh, in the tense and the voice that it's given, it's unquestionable that those names in that book were written before the founding of the cosmos. Cosmo. Of the cosmos. Of the world if you want to say that. Before there ever was anything. I was in the heart and mind of God. You think that doesn't strike me? And doesn't invoke worship and praise and a yearning and a longing to learn more and more. To know my heavenly father and the savior who is called the firstborn of many brothers who died for me. These things are too great. For me to know. It will take eternity. And beyond. For me to ever understand. How even though I was unworthy. He made me worthy. That's a great statement. Here, it is, it is given, it is offered in the negative. 
But conceptual polarity will tell you that the, that the opposite would stand the same way. If, they, if it was always never having been written, then the ones who have been written were always written from before the founding of the cosmos. Now that's a comfort. To every, it ought to be to every believer, but it is a comfort especially to the tribulation saints. Listen, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Divine sovereignty of God, here it is. If anyone is to go into, in, into captivity, into captivity he goes. If it is God's design that one goes into captivity in the tribulation, he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, it is necessary for him to be killed by the sword. Here is the hupomene, the patient waiting of the saints. Can you see it? The closing days, the waning days and months of the tribulation. Saved. Awaiting the coming of the Lord. Running tirelessly from the Antichrist until he catches up with you. And they break open the door and they come in. And you praise God. Of all the people in the world, he's only after me because of Christ in my heart. And I have been told in the word that is eternal that this thing would happen. And this is my patient waiting. This is me knowing that this is the will of God for me. Just a heartbeat from heaven, from the glories of eternal life. Well, anyway, the Antichrist, I don't like him. He's probably, I don't know, I, I have a strong feeling he's running around somewhere, waiting his time waiting for the world to collapse into some kind of complex emergency by which the world will demand a leader that will supersede nations and boundaries and countries and throw all of that out the window for the sake of this counterfeit salvation and this false savior so much of the world is in delusion. So much of the world is in darkness. And they seem to enjoy it. You've seen those pictures of the, you know, the young man holding up the placard that said, let Jesus return, we'll kill him again. And all the awful things that are said by the earth dwellers. Only God knows the end of their lives. I don't. I hope that God comes, the Lord comes back and finds us doing everything we can 
in the last days that we have left. Let's pray together. We'll be through. Father God in heaven, we marvel at your word. We tremble at the thoughts of your wrath. We are stricken by all of those who are unsaved and are so blasphemous in this world today. And Father, we are overwhelmed with the thoughts of the lateness of the hour. So we pray, Lord, for your protection and guidance, of course. For your strength and open doors that you would open. That until it is all over for us, we will proclaim the gospel as far and as wide as we can. And as you will enable us to do it. And at the end of it all, you will receive all of the glory and the honor In Jesus' name, amen.